did not appreciate the way that uh, Thomas was looking at my daughter. appreciate uh, so many of our guests for uh, traveling so far um, to come and hear me preach this morning. It is a big honor. Uh, try not to let you down. Uh, <clears throat> I had um, a sermon prepared that I was working on um, all of this week, and um, uh, I had most of a sermon ready to go uh, by this morning. And, um, well, uh, this morning I went to go and finish that sermon, and I spent some time with Jesus, and he told me to scrap it. Um, so, uh, the elders don't know this, <laughs> uh, but uh, I think it'll be okay. Um, <clears throat> today we are um, doing a baby blessing, uh, obviously, uh, what you just saw. Um, it's a baby blessing, and it's a baby dedication. We're dedicating um, these babies uh, to the Lord. And uh, today I just want to take a look at some people um, in the Bible um, who did that very thing and see what uh, the Lord has to say uh, to us through that. Uh, with that being said, <clears throat> I shared a little bit of what I'm going to talk about today with Maritza just this morning while she was in the bathroom getting the girls ready to go and eating donuts. And uh, I really could not get much of any of it out <laughs> without getting emotional. Uh, so um, let's pray for me uh, just real quick uh, that the Lord would help me to do this. <clears throat> Lord Jesus, uh, we love you. Um, and we just welcome your presence into this place. And we thank you that by your grace, uh, we get to enter into your presence. And, by your grace, uh, you're here today. Holy Spirit, I just invite you um, in. I ask you to come and help me uh, with this word that I feel like you've put on my heart for us today. Um, pray help me to do it uh, without getting too emotional. And Jesus, I pray that you would be with all of us and those of us who need this word today. I pray that you would fill us all with your spirit to be able to receive it uh, with faith and um, repentance where we need it. Um, Lord Jesus, we love you, and we pray all of this uh, in your name. Amen. Okay, so, sorry, this is bothering me. Okay. All right, so we're going to read a lot of scripture this morning. Um, so if you have your Bibles or your phone, um, go to 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to read through um, two whole chapters here uh, this morning, God willing. Um, it's really good stuff, so stick with me. And it's a good story, too. It's not like uh, we're reading some uh, Leviticus or something. It's some, some good stuff. Actually, I am going to mention Leviticus, so actually I'm not going to make that promise. Um, okay, so here we go. Starting in verse 1, it says, uh, There was a certain man from Ramathaim, uh, a Zephite, from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroboam. I'm going to skip these names. Um, he had two wives. One was called Hannah, and the other one was uh, Penina, I think. Penina had children, and Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice 
to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of his meat to his wife, Penina, and to all of her sons and daughters. But Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah woke up in the house of the Lord, uh, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband, Elkanah, who would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? I thought that was a pretty confident thing to say. (laughs) Notice she's very nice and she just doesn't answer. Uh, (laughs) um, So what's going on here is uh, there is a man named Elkanah and he has two wives. One has uh, a lot of children and the other one uh, is barren. Okay, and so they go to the temple um, and they pray. And so it says, as she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. She's just praying under her breath, pretty much. Um, Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, how long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. And Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. And then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning they rose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of his time, in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. So the Lord uh, answered um, Hannah's prayer, and he gave her a son. Now, um, I want you to notice what she does with her son. It says, when her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah did not go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord, and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband said. Stay here until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord make good on his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her until she she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull and a faw of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought, him to the, brought the boy to Eli, and she said to him, Pardon me, my Lord, as surely as, you, <clears throat> as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child, and Yahweh has granted me what I asked of him. So now I give him to Yahweh for his whole life, will be given over to Yahweh. And, she, and he worshiped the Lord there. So this is the story of Hannah. She prays to God for a child when she could not have one. God gives her a child. And then she turns around and she doesn't just pray a prayer over her son like we did up here, asking the Lord to bless him. She dedicates the child's life to the Lord. 
she even gives the child back to God. God gave her this child, and she turns around, and she gives the child back to God. Okay? I want you to notice this, okay? Because I think this is the paradigm. (laughs) I think this is how it's supposed to be for everyone who has a child. The Lord gives us children, and we're not just supposed to pray that he would bless them, but we give these children back to God, okay? I'm going to elaborate a little bit more on that here in just a second, but um, I never noticed this until a few months ago. Um, I was reading in Samuel, just going, uh, reading through the Bible, and I didn't realize that uh, there is very intentionally placed here a very stark contrast uh, to what Hannah does with her children and what Eli, uh, the priest of God, does with his children. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and read that before we elaborate anymore. So listen to this. Uh, We're in chapter 2, verse 12. I'm going to skip Hannah's prayer for now. Chapter 2, verse 12 says, Eli's sons, Eli the priest, were scoundrels. It's a good word, scoundrel. They had no regard for Yahweh. Now it was the practice of the priests that whenever any of the people offered a sacrifice, the priest's servant would come with a three-pronged fork in his hand while the meat was being boiled and would plunge the fork into the pan or kettle or cauldron or pot. Whatever the fork brought up, the priest would take for himself. This is how they treated all of the Israelites who came to Shiloh. But even before the fat was burned, the priest's servants, sorry, the priest's servant uh, would come and say to the person who was sacrificing, give the priest some of the meat to roast. He won't accept boiled meat from you, but only raw. Gasp. (laughs) Sorry. uh, This is why we're going to study Leviticus uh, in a few months, and I'm really excited that we are because it's really important because if you don't know Leviticus, this makes no sense. Um, uh, Liz, would you go ahead and put that up on the... um, the screen. I'm going to finish reading this. Uh, if the person said to him, let the fat be burned first and then take whatever you want, the servant would answer, no, hand it over now. If you don't, I will take it by force. Okay, so a little bit of context. Look at what Leviticus 3 says um, about offerings. And talking about offerings, it said, uh, then he, will, uh, he shall offer from it and his offering for a food offering to the Lord. The fat covering and the entrails and the fat that's on the entrails and the two kidneys with the fat that is on them at the loins and the long lobe of the liver, he shall remove with the kidneys. We're taking out the fat. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food offering with a pleasing, as a food offering with a pleasing aroma. All the fat is the Lord's. Okay. They were supposed to take the, whenever they would make a sacrifice, they would pull out the meat and the priest would eat the meat and even the person offering would get some of the meat. Uh, But the fat was supposed to be dedicated to the Lord and they would burn that along with some of this other stuff and it was supposed to be dedicated to God, okay? Uh, And then uh, one more slide. This was the penalty if you did not do this. Uh, Leviticus 7.25 says, For every person who eats of the fat of an animal of which a food offering may be made to the Lord shall be cut off from his people. You see that? If a person came, the Lord was so serious about this, about getting his portion of the sacrifice, that if you came and you sacrificed and you took some of the fat, the fat that belonged to the Lord, you were, gonna be, you were supposed to be cast out from the people of Israel. You were supposed to be excommunicated. Okay? And so now we go back to the story and we see not, uh, these are the priests 
the people who are supposed to know the law and the ones who are supposed to be leading these sacrifices and leading worship, and they are the ones who are taking the fat. And if there is even a person who comes who knows the law and is righteous and says, no, 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 don't take the fat, that's the Lord's, they say, give it to me or I'm going to take it by force. These were evil men. And it says, the sin of the young men was very great in the Lord's sight, for they were treating the Lord's offering with contempt. Now I'm going to skip a few of these verses. We'll come back to these in just a second. Um, but in verse 22, this is how Eli responded. He said, Now Eli, who was very old, heard about everything his sons were doing to all Israel and how they slept. They also did this, uh, side note. They also slept with the women who served at the entrance of the tent of meeting. So he said to them, Why do you do such things? I hear from all the people about these wicked deeds of yours. No, my sons, the report I hear spread among the Lord's people is not good. If one person sins against another, God may mediate for the offender. But if anyone sins against Yahweh, who will intercede for them? His sons, however, did not listen to their father's rebuke, for it was the Lord's will to put them to death. And the boy Samuel continued to grow in stature and in favor with the Lord. So, Eli, he sees what his sons are doing, all the wickedness that they're doing, and he comes to them, and he does, like, he does say something. He does say, like, hey, you guys are doing some bad stuff. You guys shouldn't be doing this. But what he was supposed to do was something much, much harder than that. And a lot of times, our obedience to the Lord, we kind of, like, try to, he tells us to do this thing, but you're like, okay, I'm going to, like, kind of do that, and I'll, I'll do this thing that's, like, just, you know, just, but it's a little bit short of what he said. And so that's, that's what he does. He says, you know, he gives them a slap on the wrist, but what he was supposed to do, he was supposed to cast them out from the people of Israel. At least make them stop being priests, right? But instead he gives them a slap on the wrist. <clears throat> Listen to these words that God says to Eli. He doesn't come to Eli's sons, he comes to Eli. It says, therefore Yahweh, the God of Israel, declares, <clears throat> oh wait, sorry, back, verse 27, it says, now a man of God came to Eli and said to him, this is what Yahweh says, did I not clearly reveal myself to your ancestors' family when they were in Egypt under Pharaoh? I chose your ancestor out of the tribes, out of all the tribes of Israel, to be my priest, to go up to my altar, to burn incense, and to wear an ephod in my presence. I also gave your ancestors' family all the food offerings presented to the Israelites. Why do you scorn my sacrifice and offering that I prescribed for my dwelling? Why do you honor, listen to this, why do you honor your sons more than me? By fattening yourselves on the choice parts of every offering made by my people Israel. Why do you honor your sons more than me? <clears throat> so, um, I'm not going to read the rest of it, but uh, essentially after this, God speaks to Eli and he says, because you have done this, um, I am going to remove your sons. Uh, they will die for their sins. Um, and you will also die. <clears throat> and they do. And he does. Um, 
and he, he says that uh, the Lord is going to appoint someone who is um, going to take the priesthood uh, in his place, and it was actually the boy Samuel, uh, the son that God gave to Hannah that Hannah gave back to God. <clears throat> we are called to dedicate our children to the Lord. We are called to give the children that God has given to us back to God. And I want you to notice that, like I said, none of this was just standing up on a stage and praying. I'm glad, I keep dogging that. I'm glad that we did that. It's a beautiful thing. I'm so glad that we prayed over our kids. Uh, But um, I guess what I'm trying to say is that giving your children to God is not a one-time thing. Giving your children to God is every day. And it's a decision that we have to make every day. And you notice the things that both of these people were called to do, that one of them did and the other one didn't, uh, were very, giving their kids to God was very, very hard. This child that Hannah asked for, that God gave to her, he, she handed, her, handed him over to service in the temple for his entire life. She would never live with him again. She would come up to the temple and see him uh, every year, maybe more often than that when they worshipped. But that's a hard, hard thing to do for a woman who was barren and gave up her only child to give him back to God. And Eli, God was calling him, what he was supposed to do with his sons is he was supposed to cast them out from the people of Israel. That for him is what, what giving his kids to God looked like. That's what he was supposed to do. That's extremely hard. But what I, what I want you to see, though, is what happened in their lives whenever they did or did not do this. Because it's so blaringly obvious uh, what happens when these people either trusted God with their kids or did not trust God with their kids. For Eli's family, it was his destruction He refused to trust God with his kids. He refused to hand his kids over to the Lord. And it ended in their destruction, and it ended in his destruction. I wonder what may have happened if when all this stuff started, if Eli would have stopped his sons and said, come here. And instead of giving them a slap on the wrist, he did what he was supposed to do. Had he sent them out from the people of Israel... Who knows what the Lord maybe could have done with that? Who knows if maybe the Lord would have spared their lives? The Bible in the New Testament talks, uh, this is kind of about church, but it talks about handing over, there's this really scary part where it talks about handing someone over to Satan (laughs) so that they could be saved, which sounds like a very strange chain of events. Um, But what he means is whenever somebody's living in sin, there's a point where you you just don't put up with it anymore. Yeah, there's a time when you've given grace and grace and grace and grace, and there's a time where you just let them go on in their ways. And the idea is the hope that that God would get to meet them once they get to a really dark place, where they go to the end of their sin, where their sin leads them naturally, and that hopefully God would meet them there. So I don't know, I'm, I'm just spitballing, but maybe something like that could have happened if Eli had trusted God with his kids. But he didn't. So they died, and even Eli died. It didn't just bring about his kids' destruction, it brought about 
his destruction. Now, I want you to look at Hannah, though. Look at Hannah. Oh, I skipped over this, this passage right here. It, it comes smack dab in the middle of what's going on. It literally interrupts the story of Eli's wicked sons. So Hannah, she comes and she brings um, her, her son to the Lord, hands, her, hands him over to the Lord. And, um, <clears throat> well, this is what happens. In verse 18, it says, uh, Samuel's a little bit older now, um, and he's ministering before the Lord. Uh, verse 18 uh, each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him. And when she went up with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice, Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife, saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. Then they would go home. And the Lord was gracious to Hannah, and she gave birth to three sons and two daughters. And, listen to this, meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. The Lord blessed Hannah. She trusted, she did a very hard thing, and she trusted God with her son. She handed her son over to God. And he blessed that son, and he became one of the greatest men in the Bible, a prophet, a priest. And, not only that, he gave her five more children and he blessed her with. She trusted God with her child and the Lord made it worth it. The Lord blessed her. The Lord wasn't just trying to take her kid <laughs> to test her faith or, or to... Um, you know, see how willing she would be or how much she trusted in him. Every time the Lord asked for something like this, especially something insanely big as asking us to trust him, trust him with our kids, he's doing it for our good. He's doing it because he has something better in, our hand, in the other hand. He wants to bless you. He wants to bless your kids, but it cannot happen unless they're in his hands. We're so, so rightfully obsessed with our natural, God-given parenting instincts inside of us to protect our kids and to love them and to seek what's best for them, that we just, we have them here in our hands and we don't want to let anybody touch them. Uh, that's, um, that's not what <laughs> didn't come out right. But we don't want anybody, we don't want anything to happen to them. And they're going to be safe right here in our hands. But we put way too much confidence in ourselves. The only place that your kids are safe is in the hands of God. And if you choose to say right here, and God's saying, give me your kids, give me your kids, it might be hard, give me your kids, trust me, I'm going to take care of them. But we're saying, no, I better look after them, I better take care of them, they're my kids. They are going to be so much worse for wear than if we were to hand them over to God. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 10, 
let me just hold off on that and just uh, preface this with, with saying this. Um, I told you I wrote this sermon <laughs> about an hour ago. Uh, so let me just see where I want to go with this. Um, oh, I got it, and then I lost it. Okay, yeah, I got it. What does it look like, though, to hand your children over to God? This is obviously metaphorical language. Um, you know, whenever um, our, our kids are, um, what we're talking about here is your kids becoming the idol and your kids taking center stage instead of God taking center stage in your life, really. Um, so many of us, um, God has given us such amazing gifts in our children that it's, vi- it's, I'm amazed with how much he entrusts to us that he would give us as amazing g- gifts as kids are when they come with such an inherent risk of replacing him in our heart. But he does. So, so what does it look like to, uh, to try and keep God on the throne of our heart and not let um, our, our little boys and our little girls or now our big kids, our adult kids, take that place on our heart? You know, um, the Lord has called me. I've set a lot of things on that place in my heart that aren't God, <clears throat> and the Lord always comes. He has to come and tear that down. He has to tell me something that I have to get rid of, and I really don't like it. Um, there was a time when uh, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to get rid of my Xbox, and um, I really didn't want to. And uh, so, but I was praying because I knew I really felt like He didn't want me, like He wanted me to. And so, uh, I prayed about. It. I was like, Lord, I really don't want to get rid of my Xbox. So, if you really want me to get rid of my Xbox, then um, you're just gonna have to make it pretty clear. And so, um, I I was fasting that week um, or for a few days, and. Uh, I went into church, uh, a different church, uh, for like a prayer service at the end of that week, and I literally walked in the door, and there was a room probably full of like 30 or 40 people, and the woman on the stage said, um, you know, um, I feel like there's somebody here in the room, and the Lord wants to say this to you, I don't know who it is, but I feel like you've been uh, fasting uh, this week, and uh, the Lord's saying that he really wants you to give something up. Um, it's not a sinful thing. It's not a bad thing, but the Lord's been calling you for a while to get rid of it, and so I uh, just want to encourage you uh, to go ahead um, and do that. Um, and so I went home, and I put away my Xbox. <laughs> I got rid of it uh, because that was very clear that the Lord was wanting me to get rid of it. But uh, if you idolize your kid, you can't get rid of your kid, or you're not supposed to. <laughs> And so this has to be something that takes place within our hearts, which makes it harder. And that's why, really, it has to, become, it has to be, I can get rid of my Xbox one day and then it's gone, <laughs> right? But this is one of those things, and maybe this, and I know that there's a lot of people here, um, there are a lot of families in our church and a lot of parents, but um, this goes for everything. We're not just talking about kids. This may be a boyfriend, this may be a girlfriend, this may be an Xbox for you. <laughs> Uh, if you're like me. But this thing of taking the idol down 
off of that place, off of the throne of your heart. Taking our kids off of the throne of our heart is something that we have to consistently do. I may take my kids off of the throne of my heart this morning, and then I may wake up tomorrow morning and I'll look up on the mantle on the throne, and they're back, they're back there again. And I have to take them down again. But what does that look like practically to trust God with your kids? What does it look like to give your kid over to God? As, as God said to Eli, what does it look like to honor God above your child? <clears throat> I think with a lot of people, it looks really different. And I think primarily, you really just have to listen to the voice of the Lord. Um, and I think most of the time, we know what it is. We just don't want to do it. For Eli, it meant actually sending his kid away. For us, um, you may have a teenage child or an adult child um, that has insisted that they are going to walk in wickedness and walk in evil. Um, and in some way, you may have been playing a part in enabling that and letting that continue and being a part of that continuing. And you trusting God with your kid may look like kicking them out or whatever that looks like in that situation. Uh, stop helping them um, in love, whatever that is. For a lot of people, unfortunately, these days, your kid may come to you and say, Dad, I'm gay. And you can choose to honor your child in that moment above the Lord to their destruction. And you can say, you know what, I love you. That's fine. That must not be what the Bible means. Um, or you can do the really hard thing and trust God with your kid, um, whatever that looks like in that situation. <clears throat> trusting God with your kid may, there may be something that God is calling you to do and in your heart you really want to do it. That's usually how it works, by the way, when God calls you to do something. He stirs your heart, you want to do it, but there's always a but. There's some fear that stops you. And so you may know something that God is calling you to do and for many of us, the reason you're not going to do it starts with but my kids. What would that do to my kids? Or what if that means that my kids can't have this? Like I said, I think it's different for all of us, but trusting the Lord with your kids is almost always going to be something that is hard at some point for all of us. Let me tell you why this is hard, okay? Um, this is why, I, this is my theory. This is why I think this is hard. I think this is hard because, one, it's just, in general, very hard to follow God with a full heart all the time. It is hard to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength and keep no, no idols before Him. I think that is, it is a difficult thing 
to keep that going in our lives all the time, but it's what we're called to. So one, I think that's hard in general, for one. And so we look for things a lot of times to replace him. And then we have over here our kids, who we love so much and are so awesome that it's just so natural that this exchange would happen. It's just so natural that they would climb up onto that space, okay? Last night, me and Maritza were talking. Um, we had put the girls to bed, and we were enjoying our one hour of uh, freedom um, last night, and, you know, we kind of just sit around, and we get snacks together, and stuff like snacks and refreshments and stuff together, uh, ready for Saturday night TV watching. We're, like, giddy and bouncing and just uh, very happy and uh, just uh, so excited to get together and uh, spend some time together. Um, and, you know, we just start talking uh, about life, uh, just talking about things, and, um, and I told Maritza, um, uh, I told her that I had a confession to make, that I had had this thought a few times um, over the past few weeks, and this is true, um, that I love my girls so much. They are really cute, and they are so fun and beautiful. I told Maritza, I could see myself giving my whole life to them. I could really see myself having the happiest life if I just gave them all my attention and all my desire and all my love all the time. And I think that most people would hear that and they say, that sounds great, that sounds like a really good thing, but it doesn't belong to them. You know what I just described? It sounds a lot like, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and soul, mind, and strength. Not your kids. Not your wife. No other person is worthy. And this morning, what happened to me um, was, <clears throat> and I told her this, I, I could see myself doing that as opposed to what we believe our life is all about right now, and that's giving everything we have to following Jesus and to seeking his face and seeking his will for our life and desiring his kingdom and trying to see people get saved and try to see God bring about revival in the church today. That is what we really feel like we're called to. That's what we really believe our life is about. And our girls are a part of that. They get sucked up into that. And at any point where they become above that, any point where they become um, more important than that is when we have a problem. But anyway, so I just told Maritza that, and she agreed. And, and uh, I was like, isn't that a crazy thought? But, you know, that's obviously not what we would do. Um, but this morning, I was sitting in my office. I came up here. Uh, early. Uh, it was 6.45. I think that's the earliest I've ever come to this place. <laughs> uh, it was because my original sermon that I had written was only about halfway written, uh, so I had to get up here and, and uh, hurry up and finish up writing this sermon. And um, <clears throat> I got up there, and I knew I was alone, and so I was like, I'm just going to put on some worship music, and I'm going to sing real ugly, uh, real loud. And so I did that. And um, 
I'll just tell you, uh, Jesus met me in a beautiful way this morning as I worshiped. Uh, just really felt his presence. Nothing crazy or supernatural or anything like that, but I just really felt his nearness and I was crying even more than I am right now. And, uh, and he reminded me this is why. This is why my girls can't have that place. Because my girls can't give me what he gives me. This isn't just a, a don't do that because it's bad thing. This isn't just a don't idolize your kids because God doesn't like idols and it's bad. God says don't idolize your kids because Jesus is better. If you idolize your kids, you're settling for something less. You're settling for less than the Ancient of Days, the Prince of Peace, the King of Glory. And he stands before you and he offers to you a relationship with himself. Let me tell you, you and I are going to be so much better for our kids if we have more of him than we have of them. It's this crazy thing where God says, give me this. And then we give it to him, and then he gives it back, and then he gives us all of this. That's what he does when he's asking us to trust us, asking us to trust him with our kids, to give him over. Look, Hannah, do you know what she did when, as she was handing Samuel over to God? She worshiped. She worshiped. She wasn't just, she wasn't just, she, this was a woman who knew the Lord. This was a worship. This is a woman who worshiped. This is a woman who prayed. She spent days and nights in the temple. Why? Just because she wanted a baby? No. Because God gave her the baby, and then she gave the baby back to God, and after that, she worshiped God. Listen to Hannah's song. Oh, that's not right. Listen to Hannah's song. My heart rejoices in Yahweh. In Yahweh my horn is lifted up. My mouth boasts over my enemies, for I delight in your deliverance. There is no one holy like Yahweh. There is no one besides you. There is no rock like our God. Even in the midst of God taken away, listen to what she says. She says, Verse 6, Yahweh brings death and makes alive. He brings down to the grave and raises up. Yahweh sends poverty and wealth. He humbles and he exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the, needy, lifts the needy from the ash heaps. He seats the princes and has them inherit a throne of honor. She has the heart of a worshiper that says, God, no matter what you ask of me, no matter what you give me and no matter what you take away, I want you And this is what all of us are called to. We need a lot of grace to do it. But if we do, we will be a blessed people.
I just want to pray. I want to pray that the Lord would help us to do this. Um, also, I'm going to ask that the Lord would help us to hand over our children to Him this very morning. Um, and if I could just close your eyes while we pray. But if this is especially for you, maybe, maybe would you stand just to, just to really receive it um, from the Lord. Lord Jesus, um, we love you so much. And God, we love you more than the people that we love more than anyone else in this world. We thank you for our kids, God. So that those who receive children are blessed. They are like arrows in the hands of a mighty warrior. And blessed is he whose quiver is filled with them. So Lord, we thank you for our children. We bless you and acknowledge them from being as being from you. But Lord, would you ha- help us to hand them over to you? Would you help us to entrust our children to you? God, we pray that our kids would see us love you more than anything, and God, we pray that they would love you more than anything. We pray that we would desire for our kids to know you more than we desire their happiness, quote-unquote, more than we even desire their safety, Jesus. We pray that our kids would grow up in the house of the Lord like Samuel, that they would delight in the Lord like Samuel, they'd be used by the Lord like Samuel, that they would hear your voice like Samuel, Jesus, would you help us to trust you? God, for some of us, there is nothing at all for us to do. We have nothing that we can do this morning. There's no action we can take to trust you with our kids, but it's something that just needs to happen in our hearts. God, would you help us to trust you? We hand them over to you right now in Jesus' name. Give us more grace to do this always, Jesus. We love you. Amen.